Section four of the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Book one, chapter four. The third son, Alyosha. He was only twenty. His brother Ivan was in his twenty-fourth year at the time, while their elder brother Dmitri was twenty-seven first of all i must explain that this young man alyosha was not a fanatic and in my opinion at least was not even a mystic i may as well give my full opinion from the beginning he was simply an early lover of humanity and that he adopted the monastic life was simply because at that time it struck him so to say as the ideal escape for his soul struggling from the darkness of worldly wickedness to the light of love and the reason this life struck him in this way was that he found in it at that time as he thought an extraordinary being our celebrated elder Sasima, to whom he became attached with all the warm first love of his ardent heart but i do not dispute that he was very strange even at that time and had been so indeed from his cradle i have mentioned already by the way that though he lost his mother in his fourth year he remembered her all his life her face her caresses as though she stood living before me such memories may persist as everyone knows from an even earlier age even from two years old but scarcely standing out through a whole lifetime like spots of light out of darkness like a corner torn out of a huge picture which has all faded and disappeared except that fragment that is how it was with him he remembered one still summer evening an open window the slanting rays of the setting sun that he recalled most vividly of all in a corner of the room the holy image before it a lighted lamp and on her knees before the image his mother sobbing hysterically with cries and moans snatching him up in both arms squeezing him close till it hurt and praying for him to the mother of god holding him out in both arms to the image as though to put him under the mother's protection and suddenly a nurse runs in and snatches him from her in terror that was the picture and alyosha remembered his mother's face at that minute he used to say that it was frenzied but beautiful as he remembered but he rarely cared to speak of this memory to anyone in his childhood and youth he was by no means expansive and talked little indeed but not from shyness or a sullen unsociability quite the contrary from something different from a sort of inner preoccupation entirely personal and unconcerned with other people but so important to him that he seemed as it were to forget others on account of it but he was fond of people he seemed throughout his life to put implicit trust in people yet no one ever looked on him as a simpleton or naive person there was something about him which made one feel at once and it was so all his life afterwards that he did not care to be a judge of others that he would never take it upon himself to criticize and would never condemn any one for anything he seemed indeed to accept everything without the least condemnation though often grieving bitterly and this was so much so that no one could surprise or frighten him even in his earliest youth 
coming at twenty to his father's house which was a very sink of filthy debauchery he chaste and pure as he was simply withdrew in silence when to look on was unbearable but without the slightest sign of contempt or condemnation his father who had once been in a dependent position and so was sensitive and ready to take offence met him at first with distrust and sullenness he does not say much he used to say and thinks the more but soon within a fortnight indeed he took to embracing him and kissing him terribly often with drunken tears with sottish sentimentality yet he evidently felt a real and deep affection for him such as he had never been capable of feeling for any one before every one indeed loved this young man wherever he went and it was so from his earliest childhood when he entered the household of his patron and benefactor yefim petrovitch polyanov he gained the hearts of all the family so that they looked on him quite as their own child yet he entered the house at such a tender age that he could not have acted from design nor artfulness in winning affection so that the gift of making himself loved directly and unconsciously was inherent in him in his very nature so to speak it was the same at school though he seemed to be just one of those children who are distrusted sometimes ridiculed and even disliked by their schoolfellows he was dreamy for instance and rather solitary from his earliest childhood he was fond of creeping into a corner to read and yet he was a general favorite all the while he was at school he was rarely playful or merry but any one could see at the first glance that this was not from any sullenness on the contrary he was bright and good-tempered he never tried to show off among his schoolfellows perhaps because of this he was never afraid of any one yet the boys immediately understood that he was not proud of his fearlessness and seemed to be unaware that he was bold and courageous he never resented an insult it would happen that an hour after the offence he would address the offender or answer some question with as trustful and candid an expression as though nothing had happened between them and it was not that he seemed to have forgotten or intentionally forgiven the affront but simply that he did not regard it as an affront and this completely conquered and captivated the boys he had one characteristic which made all his schoolfellows from the bottom class to the top want to mock at him not from malice but because it amused them this characteristic was a wild fanatical modesty and chastity he could not bear to hear certain words and certain conversations about women there are certain words and conversations unhappily impossible to eradicate in schools boys pure in mind and heart almost children are fond of talking in school among themselves and even aloud of things pictures and images of which even soldiers would sometimes hesitate to speak more than that much that soldiers have no knowledge or conception of is familiar to quite young children of our intellectual and higher classes there is no moral depravity no real corrupt inner cynicism in it but there is the appearance of it 
and it is often looked upon among them as something refined subtle daring and worthy of imitation seeing that alyosha karamazov put his fingers in his ears when they talked of that they used sometimes to crowd round him pull his hands away and shout nastiness into both ears while he struggled slipped to the floor tried to hide himself without uttering one word of abuse enduring their insults in silence but at last they left him alone and gave up taunting him with being a regular girl and what's more they looked upon it with compassion as a weakness he was always one of the best in the class but was never first at the time of yefim petrovitch's death alyosha had two more years to complete at the provincial gymnasium the inconsolable widow went almost immediately after his death for a long visit to italy with her whole family which consisted only of women and girls alyosha went to live in the house of two distant relations of yefim petrovitch ladies whom he had never seen before on what terms he lived with them he did not know himself it was very characteristic of him indeed that he never cared at whose expense he was living in that respect he was a striking contrast to his elder brother ivan who struggled with poverty for his first two years in the university maintained himself by his own efforts and had from childhood been bitterly conscious of living at the expense of his benefactor but this strange trait in alyosha's character must not i think be criticized too severely for at the slightest acquaintance with him any one would have perceived that alyosha was one of those youths almost of the type of religious enthusiast who if they were suddenly to come into possession of a large fortune would not hesitate to give it away for the asking either for good works or perhaps to a clever rogue in general he seemed scarcely to know the value of money not of course in a literal sense when he was given pocket money which he never asked for he was either terribly careless of it so that it was gone in a moment or he kept it for weeks together not knowing what to do with it in later years pyotr alexandrovitch Musov, a man very sensitive on the score of money and bourgeois honesty pronounced the following judgment after getting to know alyosha here is perhaps the one man in the world whom you might leave alone without a penny in the centre of an unknown town of a million inhabitants and he would not come to harm he would not die of cold and hunger for he would be fed and sheltered at once and if he were not he would find a shelter for himself and it would cost him no effort or humiliation and to shelter him would be no burden but on the contrary would probably be looked on as a pleasure he did not finish his studies at the gymnasium a year before the end of the course he suddenly announced to the ladies that he was going to see his father about a plan which had occurred to him they were sorry and unwilling to let him go the journey was not an expensive one and the ladies would not let him pawn his watch a parting present from his benefactor's family they provided him liberally with money and even fitted him out with new clothes and linen but he returned half the money they gave him saying that he intended to go third class 
on his arrival in the town he made no answer to his father's first inquiry why he had come before completing his studies and seemed so they say unusually thoughtful it soon became apparent that he was looking for his mother's tomb he practically acknowledged at the time that that was the only object of his visit but it can hardly have been the whole reason of it it is more probable that he himself did not understand and could not explain what had suddenly arisen in his soul and drawn him irresistibly into a new unknown but inevitable path fyodor pavlovitch could not show him where his second wife was buried for he had never visited her grave since he had thrown earth upon her coffin and in the course of years had entirely forgotten where she was buried fyodor pavlovitch by the way had for some time previously not been living in our town three or four years after his wife's death he had gone to the south of russia and finally turned up in odessa where he spent several years he made the acquaintance at first in his own words of a lot of low jews jewesses and jukins and ended by being received by jews high and low alike it may be presumed that at this period he developed a peculiar faculty for making and hoarding money he finally returned to our town only three years before alyosha's arrival his former acquaintances found him looking terribly aged although he was by no means an old man he behaved not exactly with more dignity but with more effrontery the former buffoon showed an insolent propensity for making buffoons of others his depravity with women was not simply what it used to be but even more revolting in a short time he opened a great number of new taverns in the district it was evident that he had perhaps a hundred thousand roubles or not much less many of the inhabitants of the town and district were soon in his debt and of course had given good security of late too he looked somehow bloated and seemed more irresponsible more uneven had sunk into a sort of incoherence used to begin one thing and go on with another as though he were letting himself go altogether he was more and more frequently drunk and if it had not been for the same servant grigory who by that time had aged considerably too and used to look after him sometimes almost like a tutor fyodor pavlovitch might have gotten into terrible scrapes alyosha's arrival seemed to affect even his moral side as though something had awakened in this prematurely old man which had long been dead in his soul do you know he used often to say looking at alyosha that you are like her the crazy woman that was what he used to call his dead wife alyosha's mother grigory it was who pointed out the crazy woman's grave to alyosha he took him to our town cemetery and showed him in a remote corner a cast-iron tombstone cheap but decently kept on which were inscribed the name and age of the deceased and the date of her death and below a four-lined verse such as are commonly used on old-fashioned middle-class tombs to alyosha's amazement this tomb turned out to be grigory's doing 
he had put it up on the poor crazy woman's grave at his own expense after fyodor pavlovitch whom he had often pestered about the grave had gone to odessa abandoning the grave and all his memories alyosha showed no particular emotion at the sight of his mother's grave he only listened to grigory's minute and solemn account of the erection of the tomb he stood with bowed head and walked away without uttering a word it was perhaps a year before he visited the cemetery again but this little episode was not without an influence upon fyodor pavlovitch and a very original one he suddenly took a thousand roubles to our monastery to pay for requiems for the soul of his wife but not for the second alyosha's mother the crazy woman but for the first adalaida ivanovna who used to thrash him in the evening of the same day he got drunk and abused the monks to alyosha he himself was far from being religious he had probably never put a penny candle before the image of a saint strange impulses of sudden feeling and sudden thought are common in such types i have mentioned already that he looked bloated his countenance at this time bore traces of something that testified unmistakably to the life he had led besides the long fleshy bags under his little always insolent suspicious and ironical eyes besides the multitude of deep wrinkles in his little fat face the adam's apple hung below his sharp chin like a great fleshy goiter which gave him a peculiar repulsive sensual appearance add to that a long rapacious mouth with full lips between which could be seen little stumps of black decayed teeth he slobbered every time he began to speak he was fond indeed of making fun of his own face though i believe he was well satisfied with it he used particularly to point to his nose which was not very large but very delicate and conspicuously aquiline a regular roman nose he used to say with my goiter i've quite the countenance of an ancient roman patrician of the decadent period he seemed proud of it not long after visiting his mother's grave alyosha suddenly announced that he wanted to enter the monastery and that the monks were willing to receive him as a novice he explained that this was his strong desire and that he was solemnly asking his consent as his father the old man knew that the elder sasima who was living in the monastery hermitage had made a special impression upon his gentle boy that is the most honest monk among them of course he observed after listening in thoughtful silence to alyosha and seeming scarcely surprised at his request hmm so that's where you want to be my gentle boy he was half drunk and suddenly he grinned his slow half drunken grin which was not without a certain cunning and tipsy slyness <clears throat> i had a presentiment that you would end in something like this would you believe it you were making straight for it well to be sure you have your own two thousand that's a dowry for you and i'll never desert you my angel and i'll pay what's wanted for you there if they ask for it but of course if they don't ask why should we worry them what do you say 
you know you spend money like a canary two grains a week hmm. do you know that near one monastery there's a place outside the town where every baby knows there are none but the monks wives living as they are called thirty women i believe i have been there myself you know it's interesting in its own way of course as a variety the worst of it is it's awfully russian there are no french women there of course they could get them fast enough they have plenty of money if they get to hear of it they'll come along well there's nothing of that sort here no monks wives and two hundred monks they're honest they keep the fasts i admit it <sighs> so you want to be a monk and do you know i'm sorry to lose you alyosha would you believe it i've really grown fond of you well it's a good opportunity you'll pray for us sinners we have sinned too much here i have always been thinking who would pray for me and whether there's anyone in the world to do it my dear boy i'm awfully stupid about that you wouldn't believe it awfully you see however stupid i am about it i keep thinking i keep thinking from time to time of course not all the while it's impossible i think for the devils to forget to drag me down to hell with their hooks when i die then i wonder hooks where would they get them what of iron hooks where do they forge them have they a foundry there of some sort the monks in the monastery probably believe that there's a ceiling in hell for instance now i'm ready to believe in hell but without a ceiling it makes it more refined more enlightened more lutheran that is and after all what does it matter whether it has a ceiling or hasn't but do you know there's a damnable question involved in it if there's no ceiling there can be no hooks and if there are no hooks it all breaks down which is unlikely again for then there would be none to drag me down to hell and if they don't drag me down what justice is there in the world il faudrait les inventer those hooks on purpose for me alone for if you only knew alyosha what a blackguard i am but there are no hooks there said alyosha looking gently and seriously at his father yes yes only the shadows of hooks i know i know that's how a frenchman described hell j'ai bu l'ombre d'un cocher qui avec l'ombre d'une brasse frappe l'ombre d'une carrosse how do you know there are no hooks darling when you've lived with the monks you'll sing a different tune but go and get at the truth there and then come and tell me anyway it's easier going to the other world if one knows what there is there besides it will be more seemly for you with the monks than here with me with a drunken old man and young harlots though you're like an angel nothing touches you and i dare say nothing will touch you there that's why i let you go because i hope for that you've got all your wits about you you will burn and you will burn out you will be healed and come back again 
and i will wait for you i feel that you are the only creature in the world who has not condemned me my dear boy i feel it you know i can't help feeling it and he even began blubbering he was sentimental he was wicked and sentimental end of section four